welcome aboard episode three of Riding the Bus, the official Iowa Wild podcast is underway. Ben Gislason joined by Joey Goldstein and Mitch Courtney. And this episode is all about goaltenders, all about Al Stalock. We're looking forward to talking with Al. I had a great interview with him earlier that we can't wait to share with all of you. But again, welcome aboard uh, our third episode. Uh, Joey, Mitch, we've talked a little bit, some of the preambles passed about the Stanley Cup, about what we were looking forward to, we did have some predictions, which did not go my direction whatsoever. Didn't go anybody's direction, Well, to be fair. I mean, I'm just, I'm happy I'm sinking into the water towards my drowning death, thinking at least I went I went with my gut and had some spine to my pick when you guys just easily, <laughs> went, easily went to Colorado. <laughs> at least somebody had the spine listen, to pick Tampa. Listen, after three games, it was very, like, Colorado's going to win this series. It was 2 nothing when we picked. Okay, mm-hmm. two nothing, and you, every, I was still pretty confident but saying Colorado was going to win. Those series. two games were Tyson and Spinks, basically. <laughs> it, it wasn't close. <laughs> Good then, for you and then, for and then Tampa put together a classic Tampa game three performance, which we said would happen. Did we mm-hmm. not? That's true. The, the, I think the day we recorded was game three, and you said, "Well, watch what happens tonight when Tampa wins." And I said, "We said that can happen, and it probably will happen." You were never phased. Nope. <laughs> I was really high on Tampa. Never after, a after doubt that after that win. I'm never like, here they doubt. come. Here they come. Um, here's a question for both of you guys, and I don't even know if I should be saying this in the podcast or not, but has it ever happened to you? And it's some, some, some playoffs it does and some playoffs it doesn't. Do you, do you ever get fatigued by watching the games? Like, are there some yeah. nights where you're just like, I, I'm t- like game six, I watched the second half game five. I barely watched. I just, I couldn't, whatever it was that night. I just was like, I, I kept up. I watched highlights. I tuned in for five minutes here and there, but I just couldn't, I couldn't do it that night. I don't know why it was. There are, some, are you guys ever have nights like that where you're just like, it's June 20-whatever? Yeah. Like, I just need some time where there isn't hockey? For sure. I think it's really dependent on the matchup for me. Like, if I'm on the East Coast and it's Nashville and Calgary, I'm probably not staying up yeah. until 1 in the morning to watch it. Stanley Cup's a little different. Like, it's easier for me to dial in. But, yeah, definitely. There's, I mean, it's a long season, and when you're involved on, on the team side and, and your team goes out, I don't want to say there's a little bit of bitterness there, but it's it's harder to watch yeah. when you know the Wild are done and you're watching another team get a chance to hoist the cup. Especially a team that you play so often. You know, <laughs> the Wild play Colorado yeah. all the time, right? I, I get that fatigue, not so much with the Stanley Cup Finals, but I feel like if the teams I'm rooting for are out, when I get to the Conference Finals, that's when I start to, to fade a bit. But then Stanley Cup happens, and it's like you get rejuvenated, you get right back in. But I remember watching the, the Tampa and the Rangers series, like, as great of a series as that was, it was so hard to tune in and pay attention. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I don't think I watched very much, if at all, any of the Western Conference Final. Um, so I, I definitely get where you're coming from, but the Cup's a totally different beast. You can get amped up for that, and especially as you get, like, I'm surprised Game 5, you weren't really dialed in. I mean, in a game where you can win the Cup, I'd be, I mean, last night I wasn't super tuned in, mm-hmm. but, like, um, you, I don't know. I feel like you wouldn't want to miss any of that. Well, I, I feel like it's a grind for fans, too. It's a long season for players, and they talk about how hard it is to win the Cup because you have to win so many games to get to that point. Go, equate us to the players. I like this, Mitch. <laughs> equate us yeah. to the players think, whenever I, we can. I think we're on the same plane, right? <laughs> um, but, no, it's as a viewing experience, it's probably up there with the, the other playoff tournaments, I would say, in terms of competitiveness and, and things that draw you in. Um, but it is long. It's a long season ending in – June, late June, is tough for people to stay in tune when the weather starts to get nice and mm-hmm. other things are happening. So I think from a fan perspective, it's a grind. is not as much as it is for the players, but it is a grind. I think I played a hunch. I, I think I I didn't think Tampa would lose that game. I I didn't have I, I played a hunch that they were going to get through it, and then when they did, and then game six, I went. I don't know. Like I, th- that was where I started to lean a little bit more back to Colorado. Well, they look. They just looked. Well, that too. But they, I mean it. They they fi- found a way to make it work for you know game five, but like mm-hmm. game six, they just came out and they were just they were in the third period especially, just tired and slow, and that's what's going to happen. One, you're playing all season long, but when you've played as much hockey as they have over the last couple of years, I know the teams come and go. But that core is still the same. That's a lot of minutes. It's a lot of hockey and not a lot of rest. So, I think that wears on you after you know after a long time. It happened with the Sharks when they played uh, Pittsburgh mm-hmm. in 2016 that 
game six, third period, they just came out and they were just dead in the water. There's just nothing you can do um, when you play that many minutes and, you know, things catch up to you. Color, and again, Colorado's in a world of their own. You got guys like McCarr and McKinnon. Not many people can keep up with them anyways. But you add on the fact that you got tired legs and it just becomes impossible. We'll talk more about this at some point on the podcast. But, like, Steven Stamkos, to me, has really put himself in, in quite – exclusive company and he's even maybe reaching to get into even more exclusive company than Mm -hmm. he already is in loved his line after the press conference after the game he says we're not done like how easy would it just to be to to get into that press conference and go you know what a great run it was you know we're so proud to be here so proud of our guys which he is but the reason the Tampa Bay Lightning are the Tampa Bay Lightning is because that's their leader he gets done with that and he doesn't say well two was good enough yeah. He's like, no, we're You've not. You got him as yet. the leader. You've got Hedman, who's <laughs> yeah. a, a Norris Trophy winning, you know, all time defenseman on the back end, leading leading the blue line, and you've got the best goalie of the era yeah. in Vasilevsky. So, like, yeah, they're not going anywhere. They're still going to be around. They're always going to be a thorn in people's sides. And again, they know how to win. So, I, I don't want to say you can pencil them into the conference finals next year, but like, they get a damn good chance yeah. of being there. Well, and I got to look at their UFA situation. That's that's one of the big questions. But I remember after last season, more people were saying, what's Tampa going to do than right now? Yeah. There's not as many people in the media going, Tampa's got, you know, they're not on the list of, they got big decisions to make. There's always mm-hmm. those teams every offseason where you're like, whew, I'd hate to be that GM. And I, I don't think, um, you know, I don't think Breezebaugh is in that situation right now where he's no. got to go, oh, I got a million hard decisions to make. How are we going to keep this nucleus together? The only thing he's starting to battle a little bit now is time, age and time with some of those veterans that are that are their go-to players that aren't spry in years anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, we talk about the, the go-to players, and one of we asked the question during the intro episode. I think we ended up cutting it. We talked about who would you rather have, uh, McKinnon or McDavid. I said Kale McCarr. I want to ask you guys. Does your stance change at all? Would you, if you're choosing between, you're starting a team around McKinnon or around McCarr? Year 2022. Who would you, who would you rather? Like, so McKinnon's would, his age and McCarr's his age. Who would you? That, ra- I mean, that's I guess my question. I mean, it's I guess it's tough when you put age, but I mean, if you have a player, I mean, who who would you want to be the nucleus of that team? Is it McKinnon or is it McCarr? Because I, McCarr's, I think, in a world of his own. As an old, defense. he joined a list last night with Bobby yeah. Orr and Nicholas Littrum and nobody else. That's crazy. I mean, and, and and it took McKinnon how long now to get to where he got to? How many failures did he have? And, again, I I love, love, love Nate McKinnon, which is why this is a hard – he's arguably my favorite player in hockey right now. I really love the way he plays. Mm-hmm. But to your point, it took him as long as it did. He didn't have the support that he's had now, obviously. Sure. That's part of it. Look at any great athlete. They have to you – know, the, the classic example is Michael Jordan. But he took him a while to get to this point. Didn't take Kale McCarr very long to get no. to this point. I mean, he was the infusion that that team needed. Where all of a sudden they went from good to the best. I mean, he's really coming he in. Was. Hobie Baker, Calder, Con Smythe, yeah. Norris, Stanley Cup champion. That's yeah, all happening I mean, at such an early age. Yeah, That's be crazy. A gold medal coming up at some point. I mean, yeah. imagine for him that trifecta—the Norris Trophy, the Con Smythe, and the Stanley Cup in Hedman the same have that? season. Not in the same season. Yeah. Does Hedman but have all three of those? I. I don't think he has, like, yes. he yes. has a cons- Did he He's got the them all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He was okay. the last defenseman yep. to win yep. before. But yeah, one um, season. Oh. It's And then you look, I mean, I'm, I'm keeping McDavid out of the conversation. I saw a stat last night, even after the cup finals, he's still got eight more points than the next highest person yeah. of people who are still playing. So, like, he's far and away the best player on the planet. But do you I guys make a good argument for the other two. Do you think that there's any other team that has a window that's still as open as – Tampa's. I mean, the only really unrestricted free agents they have this year are Andre Pollat, I believe Nick Paul is a UFA, Boy, was and Riley Nash. Boy, was Nick and Paul those are good. three good players, but are you talking is, more like a veteran heavy team that's still got a window, or just just any team that has a window to win the cup that could contend next year? I, I mean, Colorado's got a lot of things to figure out. Their window is obviously still open because mm-hmm. they've got the top tier pieces. But as far as having a complete team where you have you get to go into the offseason and just really pick and pull complementary pieces as opposed to trying to really build a bottom six. The Rangers are probably still in that conversation. They've got a very young core who's going to be good for years to come. I could see them even making a few subtle tweaks to what yeah. they got to and probably better. You I don't know they what probably Ed saw and, a few things yeah. and went, okay, we need this, we need this, let's go find this. And the good thing is for them – I, they're not, I don't think their needs are big, huge dollar signs no. attached to them. They need little little things, little nuances to implement into their game that could push them past 
St. Louis Bay. and Edmonton too, probably. Sure. I don't know what their UFA situations are like, but you know, you get that that winning pedigree in there. You get guys who know how to do it. It'll I think tough. it's it's going to be tough to bet against Tampa. They they're not really losing anybody they right. can't replace, and even in at their current cap situation, they're they're not going to lose anybody that you're going to say, oh, we can't do it again without them next year. Before we put a pin in in Tampa and, and move on to getting ready for Al Stalock. This is a Tampa team that, when you look at them, as you said, Mitch, it doesn't look like they're going anywhere. But looking back at this team, even if you have all the pieces, it still is amazing to see what they've done because so much has to go right that is a little bit out of your control as a player, as a coach, as a general manager, as a team. There is a there is a general amount of just luck and happenstance that happens mm. to be a part of championships, that happens to be a part of teams that, that make runs, whether it's conference finals or beyond, which Tampa's been all over the conference finals and beyond in the last five to seven years. Th- this is a team that's been around the, the, the titles for a long time. So has, is, is, the, is the magic still there? Is the pixie dust still there? Or is this the final year of them getting a bounce here, getting that luck here that you do have to, to make it as far as this team has made it consistently? So still a lot of questions. But, yeah, when you look at the, at the horses in the stable still, why shouldn't they still be a, a conversation point next year? I very much think they should be. Yeah. I think the margin for error is so large. When you have a guy like Vassie in that, like, it's tough to win when you don't have that top-tier goaltender. And I was talking to Joey about Colorado's goaltending situation earlier this morning with Kemper. That's probably the bar for where you could be at to win a cup. But Vassie is a guy who gives you a chance every single year. It doesn't matter Nickname who's. Nickname basis, Vassie. Yeah. <laughs> They're boys. No, they're, they're tight. They're tight. Yeah, they're tight. <laughs> <laughs> but a good point. I just had to give you some grief. But you're right. And how, how about Darcy Kemper? Uh, Iowa Wild alum, guy who very much got his salt and peppering before mm-hmm. he officially became an NHLer here in Iowa. Um, and I almost equated a little bit to like a Chris Osgood type for the that those juggernaut Detroit Red Wings teams. Mm-hmm. You don't look at Darcy Kemper. And again, still, as far as goaltenders go, elite of the elite in, in hockey. But in the NHL, you don't look at him, you don't think Vasilevsky. But he made the saves he needed to make. And he came up with a few pretty damn big ones big throughout ones last the course, night. especially last night. That save yeah. on Kucherov in the third was Sunday, Sunday night, sorry. For True, those good you guys point. listening yeah, to yeah, this on, uh, on Tuesday. Um, but – that in the game six one-timer save on Kucherov, granted Kucherov put that kind of in the middle of the net mm-hmm. by his standards, but still, like, there was more than a handful of those yeah. throughout the cup, but also just throughout the playoffs mm-hmm. where teams have dips and Colorado had dips. And when they did, not every night, but a lot of the, those nights he was there. Um, and, yes, he had a little bit of help from Francois when, when, but when he, he did But it hurt, just but shows it was you mainly Kemper, though. He which, was their guy. Like, mm-hmm. Francois came in, and, and even though – he played well. Like when Kemper was healthy, it's his net. Yeah, There's no right question. There was no hesitation. You knew who it belonged to. It wasn't like you get some other teams where I know the Bruins went through it. You got Linus Allmark and it wasn't great. Then Swayman and then Swayman kind of plays poorly a little bit. Do you go back? To, there was no. There was no wavering at any point. You knew who it was. This is our guy. This is the guy who's going to take us there if we're going to make it all the way. And and they did. Goaltending. Uh, we bring it back full circle. Uh, Al Stalock, as great of a guy as he is a goalie. Uh, and, and I've been, been lucky to, to know Al a little bit. I don't want to call myself great friends with him by any means, but just through the Minnesota hockey connections mm-hmm. that, that there are. Um, and the minute we started drawing up this podcast, he was a name, even if he didn't, even if he hadn't have had the great career that he, that he has had and is still having as a goalie, I would have wanted him on here just because of the personality that he is. What are your guys' takeaways before we officially cast it off into period two and hear from Al? Just an interesting guy overall, and and if anybody is interested in the psyche behind uh, goalies trying to score goals, I think this is an interview that you're <laughs> that going to want to listen to. That was one of my favorites, too. Agreed. Everybody, like I think as a fan growing up, you're like, oh, what if the goalie puts it in the net? And then as you get older, you're like, oh, this is something that could actually happen. But to talk to a goalie about the mindset of trying to score a goal, and he's very much somebody that wants to do that, yeah. is very interesting. Yeah, I Similar to what we had with with Dakota, I think we're doing a great job so far just getting people on who are great storytellers. Al's got a lot of good stories. A lot that we didn't even get into. This is a guy who played with John Scott. He played with Joe Thornton. We didn't even get to any of that Mm -hmm. stuff because we ran out of time. I mean, there's so much more we can talk about with him, but the stories he did share with us were all time. My personal favorite is the one, the, the Worcester Sharks, the Mayhem game in Portland. Just 
A, being from, from Worcester and knowing that backstory, but just from hearing someone who was in that uh, is wild. One of the most interesting goalies you can talk to, and there are some really interesting goalies out there. Uh, Al Stalock, uh, to me, will always be remembered as the best goaltender player of the puck. And I can, and we talk about it in, in the podcast, my first memory of Al Stalock playing in high school. And he's been that way everywhere he's gone. And anybody that watched him here in Iowa or Minnesota or San Jose or you name it will remember that about Al Stalock because he's he brings up the trapezoid, which I thought was so funny, too. Yeah. I, I forgot about that rule even existed. I was yeah. just, you, you forget that at one point goalies could roam the zone as mm-hmm. they pleased and play pucks wherever, and he took advantage of that. So uh, that's enough of us. Uh, thanks for bearing with us as everyone's thinking, let's hear from Al. That's where we're at now. Let's uh, we'll hand it over now to period two and hear from goaltender, formerly of the Iowa Wild, but other stops, Minnesota Wild, San Jose Sharks, Edmonton Oilers recently as well, but uh, the great, the wonderful Al Stalock. Period one's over on the podcast. We're on to period number two. Joey Goldstein's already laughing. Mitch Courtney here with us. And the most special addition to this segment of episode three, former Iowa Wild goaltender 2016-17, but more importantly, a guy who's been in the National Hockey League as a goaltender for a number of years now. Former UMD Bulldog, got to throw that in there, Al Stalock. Al, thanks so much for joining us. I've just been racking my brain all weekend thinking about this interview because I've had the privilege of getting to be around you, getting to know you a little bit just outside of, of the Wild organization. I've had you on other podcasts that I've been associated with, and it's always such a treat to talk to you, Al. Thanks for doing this with us, and welcome aboard. Oh, I know. I'm uh, I'm honored to be back. I feel like I'm almost sitting back in that locker room. I'm trying to figure out what corner of the stall and where my stall was. But, uh, no, that uh, Iowa Wild, uh, it was a, uh, you know, a stop that, you know, you probably don't want to make as a professional athlete, but sometimes you need to. You get knocked down a peg. And uh, fortunate enough, I got a call from Chuck Fletcher that summer and asked if I wanted to become a Wild. And, uh, it was a no-brainer for me. And, um to obviously spend, you know, a year down there was, uh, was awesome. And there's, uh, a lot of really, really good memories that I have, uh, from, uh, my time at Des Moines. Well, and Al, we're going to get to those memories. We want to start, we have a question. We begin every, every podcast guest interview with on our show here, riding the bus, bus stories. Everyone has them. It's been involved in hockey, even for a short stint. And for someone like you, that's been around the game, you know, coming up on closing in on 40 years now for you, when you think about bus time and memories and all the different antics that happen on the bus, can you give us one story, one moment that you can think back on it and just say, I can't believe I was there to experience this that happened on the bus. I mean, there's so many, uh, bus trips obviously and um you know you first really figure it out uh i was out east and our bus trips were only 45 minutes to an hour out there and uh it was always easy um but you know there's a few my first ever bus trip it was probably my first ever bus trip in pro hockey too it was uh it was in worcester and we weren't even going to a hockey game we were doing a uh, a team party before playoffs okay kind of, i wouldn't call it a team party but it was a team bonding deal we just got some college guys. You get some of the CHL prospects in and, um, you know, you kind of, Hey, we got, a, you know, a couple new faces around here. Let's get to know each other. The group's been there all year and we're on our way back from the Pawtucket game. And, um, the long, long time legendary coach Roy Sommer of, uh, Worcester Sharks. He was in Cleveland. He's been, he's been everywhere with the Sharks organization. I still remember this day he was fighting one of our players on our team in, in like a half joking fight, you know, like they were just kind of messing around, but guys had beers at the game and we get around our way back. And all of a sudden there's a, a fight in the middle of the bus. I'm like, what is going on? And I look back and it's my, my, my first pro head coach. I'm like, this is crazy. Is this really how it is? You know? And, um, but that's just you know, the uni- uniqueness of him. And he loved the camaraderie of, you know, the guys getting along. And to him, that was the most important thing is, you know, the bus trips and the locker rooms and getting along. And, um, that's, uh, and yeah, I don't know how many miles he had. I mean, the, the bus trips he had, you know, he would, uh, he put on, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the show lonesome dove. If we ever played a horrible game, he put on a, it'd be like a six hour. We'd go down to, uh, Hershey or Wilkes-Barre, be our long trip. And uh, we'd have to watch lonesome dove the whole ride home. And, uh, 
because we got lost. We lost or we played that crap or something. All of a sudden, he said, put Lo and some dove on. So he'd sit there and watch it. He loved it. But all of us are like, are you kidding me, man? But, uh, you know, just stuff like that that I, I you remember. And I still this day every now and then you send him a text. Or I got to finish the year with him this year. Is it any lonesome dub trips, you know? And um, But, yeah, it's stuff like that you remember. You don't remember too many games, but you remember all that stuff that happens off the ice. Well, and that is a little bit of, of why this podcast for us, you know, just on episode three now, that's what we are trying to focus on is those, the tales outside of the game. It, it, we're all privileged here to get to be around people like you, whether it's for a short amount of time or a long amount of time, depending on the player, and to get to, to know you guys and to get to see some of those funny stories that happen on the bus, off the bus, in the locker room. Boy, the lonesome dove. You think about good bus. Oh. You think about good bus. Oh. Good bus movies, because that is a thing. There are great movies that don't apply on the bus, right? And right. there are great shows that don't apply on the bus. I can't picture Lonesome Dove applying for even a hot second on the bus. So, what a cruel but also effective move That's by Roy. There was, yeah. yeah, there was there was one person that wanted to watch that, and that was our head coach. That was uh, that was the only person. Yeah, that's such a that's such a Roy move. I mean, I was spent some time in Worcester. I think it was after you had spent time there. I was with Roy in San Jose, and he's, I mean, similar to the way Tim Army is here. Loves to tell stories, big storyteller, and he's got a billion of them. Um, oh, so yeah, that it's, doesn't it's surprise endless. me. It's endless. So he, uh, you know, there's there's every team too. Even Iowa, we had a great group of card playing guys, and we had the sleeper bus and an awesome table back there. And, a good group of veterans that, uh, uh, yeah, I still sit, remember sitting around the table and obviously Newsy was, uh, loved it too. That was his, uh, you know, his thing was to have for us to have fun as long as we played hard on the ice. And, um, you know, we sure did. And we had a, we had a good veteran group down here that, uh, you know, had a pretty good year. Al, I, I, you mentioned right off the hop and when you were coming into Iowa, you were eight, nine seasons into your pro career at that point. So to your point, yeah, you look at it as a speed bump. But I remember hearing in February 2021, you were going to be coming down here on a conditioning stint. And I remember hearing you were excited to come down here. You wound up getting another NHL chance by going to Edmonton. But what, why were you excited to come back down? What about your time in Iowa led you, even though it was a late AHL stint for you in an 11-season career, why were you excited about the opportunity to at least be back down here, even though it would be what the plan was for just a short window? Well, I think, you know, uh, you obviously know your veteran guys down there, you know, um, spent a lot of you know, the last few years with Rao and um, it's, it's just the, the com- you know, like being comfortable coming down there. It's an easy locker room to walk into. Uh, you've been there before, you know, the city's a great spot to live. The fans are awesome. And, uh, and I knew I needed it. I didn't play hockey for, I was out for however many months, you know, unfortunately with the, the stuff from COVID. And uh, I thought, you know, this is going to be so, so perfect to go down there and um, go back to where kind of a spot that rejuvenated my career. And I got another chance to go down and figure my game out and get back to, you know, feeling good. And I was like, Hey, this is, uh, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be the right play. And uh, obviously it's a coach that I've never played for tomorrow, but you hear great stuff that, uh, you know, detailed and, um, and all that, and I thought, hey, for for me at my age, if this is what I'm going to keep doing, I got to go and do this, and I want to go and do this, and um, it would have been uh, it would have been so perfect. When you think about that 2016-17 season, and you think about shooters on that team, players that you had to deal with, and and you likely had seen a lot better than what you maybe saw that year, but I think about names like Alex Tuck on that team. There are some other players that came up that are, have become decent to, to strong NHLers. When you think about some of the shooters on that club and practice every day, who are some shots that stood out to you? Yeah, Tuck was Tuck was unbelievable. You knew he was going to be a good talent. He was so big and um obviously for the wilds uh sake um it was tough that first expansion draft with vegas you know they, they benefited from a lot of leveraging different ways um and unfortunately minnesota lost them to uh to vegas but uh he you know he was obviously a guy you could tell right away yeah he, uh, he was vocal in the locker room had a big body um could shoot the puck uh you got a guy like sam ass who's still playing in the, he's in the finals now uh, who's a heck of a player. He's just too bad. You know, obviously anybody wishes they were a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. And, you know, Sammy was a kid. He's so gifted. 
you know, I still think he's probably one of the better, better setup guys, but he can, he's sneaky little shot and can score. Uh, lucky I got to Ryan Carter made a comeback. He had a, he was struggling with the shoulder injuries. So he came back down the stretch and we got to get, you know, kind of finish the last couple months of his playing career, obviously. And then, uh, what's kickstarted him into his, uh, superstar status here with his, uh, his media and his mullet and everything he's got going <laughs> up here. But, you know, there's a special group. Max Fortunas was on that group. And, um, you know, Mike Weber played right at the end of his career with, you know, I think he was playing on like half a leg. And um, it was just Timo Polkin and speaking of shot, he was like the Ovechkin of the American League, you know. It was uh, it was a good group. And we just had uh, we had a ton of fun. And it, I think there was a lot of veterans in that group that kind of were in the same boat. So that's why it worked. And that's why it, it kind of molded into uh, – you know, having a pretty good year. And Al, uh, born and raised in St. Paul, did it have a little extra meaning to you to join the Wild organization? Yeah, and so a lot of people get upset because he said St. Paul. So, like, if you're from South St. Paul, they, you I was know gonna say I, mean? I almost came across the table at him, Al, for that. <laughs> yeah, I know there's so a lot of pride about it. Yeah, people don't. Yeah, so even if it's in like uh, like Let's Play Hockey magazine where it says all the pro guys and it says St. Paul and you know, so you run into some of them, like, do you think you can you know, get them to change it so it says South St. Paul? And I remember I used to get upset when, you know, they'd show Phil Housley looking and be like, he's lucky he's trying to tell him, but it just say St. Paul. And it's like, that's not South St. Paul, you know. Um, but it was, I, when Chuck called that uh, that summer and he was one of the teams, one of the 32 teams knocking down on my door on July 1st, it was uh, it was a no-brainer. Um be at that at the age I was to come here and get a chance to play for the wild, put a wild sweater on. It was like, I got to do it. You get not many pro athletes get a chance to play in front of their hometown where, you know, I grew up 15 minutes from the XL energy center. It's like in South St. Paul. And, uh, it was just like when you finally, even, you know, going to Iowa, obviously, and then you get that first chance, Darcy got hurt that year. And I came up and got to play a home game. And I was like, this is, this is unbelievable. I remember sitting there you know when i was in eighth grade i remember sitting there watching them you know when i was in college and you always thought like hey can i play out here you know and, and you always think you can you know you're just too stupid when you're young and you're like <laughs> oh yeah for sure you know but to be able to do it i mean it's it's an added element for a hometown kid to be able to skate on the ice and and uh put on the wild jersey and, and growing up in that area as a wild fan were there any guys that you modeled your game after when you were trying to become a pro and then even more so after you became a pro, were there guys that you looked up to or guys that you thought, hey, maybe maybe I could be that one day? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, Darby Hendrickson, hometown guy, um, Richfield guy, similar to Saul St. Paul. Um, you know, I didn't know Darby at the time. I just knew him. I knew it was frosted tips and, uh, <laughs> you know, like his lucky jeans and all that, but uh, I mean, to, to score the first goal, and he's the first Minnesota kid playing here. You know, he played for the Gophers, played in the high school hockey tournament, and, you know, scored some big goals for the Wild. It was like, you know, how how cool is this? Like, this guy gets to live his dream, like, right here in his hometown. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate for me and, like, a guy like Ryan Carter, I mean, even Zach or uh, Nate Prosser is just, you know, I think you ask any of these guys, and they're going to say the same thing to, to be able to, Pull the green over. You know, it's one thing when you're in college to, you know, like put your Bulldogs jersey on. But mm -hmm. there's 18,000 people. And, you know, now being uh, on the other side where you're, you're watching wild games and I'm taking my kid to a restaurant and um, the wild games on all the TVs. You're up in a small town in northern Minnesota and all 27 people in the bar were sitting there watching the wild complaining about him losing the draw or this guy <laughs> giving up a softball. It's like it's not just 18,000 people in that building. It's the whole state. And. You realize it more and more as you get older, and I just uh, every time I see that, I just feel like, man, this I didn't appreciate it enough. You know, like you're so so lucky, and now it's uh, it's pretty cool you taking all that stuff. Al, you talk about the Excel Energy Center, and I want to let Joey Goldstein talk some Wooster Sharks because I, I know you've come prepared for that. It's all right, but we got time. <laughs> before we get there, I, I wanted to bring it up because the first time I saw you play, Al, I was probably. Maybe ten or maybe ten, twelve. No, probably older. Twelve, thirteen years old. It was maybe the quarterfinals, Class A state tournament, Breck High School versus the South St. Paul Packers. I didn't know anything about you, and 
you were, you were very highly touted. That wasn't a knock on you. That was a knock on I was 12, 13 years old. I wasn't paying attention to who any of the stars were in, the, in, in high school right. at the time. But right away, and, and I know you've been asked about it a lot because it really is your calling card. The first thing I noticed, and that was a really good Breck team. It was a really good South St. Paul team. Your, yourself, your brother was on that team, Nick Stalock. Breck had Jordan Fulton, who I know is a good friend of yours. Obviously, Blake Wheeler doesn't need any introduction. But – I think it was the first play of the game, dumped in puck. You came flying out and roped one up the wall, and I was just like, who is this goalie? Like, as far mm -hmm. as playing pucks goes, and it was – it had to have been from a pretty young age for you, I'd imagine, too, Al, because you did it from – I remember from that time all the way to the most recent game I've watched you. You get right. pucks and you move pucks, man, and it's fun to watch. Yeah, it, that was obviously pre-trapezoid. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm – hopefully I can stick around playing long enough where I've been through the era where they've – had not, not had it implemented and taken it away um but yeah it's unfortunate that uh that the the trapezoid's there i think it does help some goalies but i think there are some goalies that could really benefit from it not being there that you know they're good enough skaters where they can uh get to the corner and help um your d out and save the guy from getting smashed into the glass uh i just think it could be so beneficial to your team if you can get a guy that can do it and i just I picked it up, and I'm lucky that I'm a lefty, too, when I skate out. There's a lot of goalies that are right-handed shooting, and they have to learn how to play the puck left-handed just because that's how they catch. And so for me, I not only did I skate out every single game in South St. Paul until Pewies, but even when the, they were doing, you know, working on forecheck or working on this and so on, I was always at the other end with my goalie, you know, my goalie stuff, just firing pucks. Like, what am I – I can't sit here and listen to – a this while they're going to do in the D zone or what they're going to do in the neutral zone. And I was always just shooting pucks and shooting pucks. And then you figure out, you know, how it can affect, you know, how effective it can be for your group. And um, I think South St. Paul was the last, I mean, I, I don't know what Sandy would say, obviously, but I think it gave him a lot of headaches, but you know, in high school we were able to, you know, I stopped the puck and our, both our D would kind of just go to the corner and they'd make a decision and we'd, uh, we'd break it out basically with me behind the net and uh, our 2D in the corner and, and it worked out and we got to the state tournament that year. You bring up Scott Sandlin at UMD. I wanted to ask you this question too. Did coaches ever try to coach that out of you or was it pretty much they knew that this was a part of Al <laughs> Stalock's game and that they want, I'm sure there were some coaches that wanted to utilize it, like you said, in South St. Paul, but were there any coaches that you came on and, and they said, okay, this isn't going to be a part of the way that we break the puck out anymore. Yeah, I think obviously you get you start climbing the ranks, and uh, you know the big word I, I always heard was simplify your game, simplify your game. But that's not how I'm wired. Um, I wish I could, and you know, there's guys that probably have the simplest of games that wish they could maybe be a little bit more aggressive. And uh, you know, there'd be nights where yeah, you'd, yeah, you'd end up with I don't know 40 touches on the puck, and you know, you'd show up the next day, and it was. Uh, Hey, we got to quiet it down a little bit, simplify it a little bit, you know, and sometimes he got carried away, but that's just how the game was that, that night. And obviously I think when you lose a game, everything's more glorified than when you, when you, when you, when you're winning games. And uh, yeah, there's uh there's a lot of times where, you know, you heard, I wish you could play with a leash or I wish you could do this. You like, do you have to come out and do this all the time? And yeah, I actually have to, <laughs> just, just who I am, you know? Um, but yeah, there's, Plenty of times I've been burned by it, but uh, I think, uh, you know, obviously you yeah, some defensemen and that I played with along the way, I think they'd uh, they'd agree that it has saved them from taking a lot of blows in the end wall. So. Oh, I can only imagine the confidence that some of your defensemen must have been able to go back with the puck, knowing that the six five guy on their back is not going to be able to hit them because they won't have the puck. You'll bypass them. Final question on it, then it is Wooster time. Um, is there a singular greatest play you think you made, and whether it's the style of it or the gravity of it, uh, to set up a goal? Is there anything you think back on and think, man, this was a spectacular pass that set up a big goal? Um. Gosh, I had, I mean, high school, the one year, I think I had like eight or nine assists. I, I can't remember. I think like half of them were my brothers. There, there were some in that state tournament game where we had some chances, and I still remember. I think everybody wanted South St. Paul to win and Breck to lose. You know, it's a small South St. Paul school playing against a private school that's loaded. And every time we got the puck, I felt like it was uh, the whole place would get up like a wave, you know, because they wanted us to beat that team so bad. Um, but I remember a couple passes that game where that, uh, you know, it, uh, it gave us a chance in that game. Um, 
in Minnesota, I remember I had a really nice one to Zuki, which is kind of funny because it's like the complete opposite. Zuki is the one that's usually doing the dishing, but um, that was in Calgary. I made a long pass to Zuki for a goal. Um, but I tried to score a couple times that, and that's one thing that I, I obviously, I joke around with Tony DeCosta, the quit manager in Minnesota. He's like, why do you take so much time taping your sticks? I said, because I want to score a goal, man. There's only, I'm not going to make it to the Hall of Fame with, you know, my save percentage, my wins and how many Stanley Cup rings I have, but it is a short list of goalies that have goals in the NHL and I want to get on that list. So that's one I feel like I can get on. And, uh, we always joke about that, but, uh, I don't think in, I did Minnesota get a chance in New Jersey. Uh, it was going in. It was it was in the middle of the net, and Eddie Lack came. He was, he was already changing. He's, he hit the brakes and came back and dove head first and paddled it down. And I was like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me! We had guys on our team that were already uh, coming around to celebrate with me. I still remember Zach doing like a, a C cut at the top of the circle and um, being like, oh my god, that's in, that's in, you know. And I, and I didn't even get to watch it because guys were like coming to. You know, give me a hug, and it was uh, yeah, the goalie. I was like, come on, as a goalie, I think I'd keep, I might keep skating and let that go. That's what I was gonna say. If you ever had a chance to talk to Eddie and say, hey, I mean, I'd like, I, if you want next game, I, I'll get caught out of the net. If you want, like, you know, <laughs> right. like let's 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 help each other out here. Yeah, why? Yeah, why did you have your head on a swivel? You can't be. If you're going <laughs> to the bench, just go to the bench. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that uh, it was uh, every time. Even Royce. I mean, you know how Roy is, and. Uh, Every time we'd be up, it didn't matter if we have one goal or three goal. Every time they dump it in, I'd hear from the bench, "Go for it!" <laughs> so that, it was nice to play for him because he always wanted you to go for it anytime he had a chance. Yeah, Roy's Roy is a is a legend of the game. You know, you talked about going to the the, yeah. the baseball games and whatnot. I know a big thing for Roy. I mean, the the team cohesiveness and and that team bonding is big for him. And you know, going on big camping trips at the beginning of the year that was yeah, a yeah. big oh, thing for him. God. I'm sure. You got a story or two from uh, from one of those team camping trips that hopefully you can share. Uh, yeah, we. Yeah, I mean, it's, flip through the book. <laughs> no, it's it's we. I think he got a little slap, a little uh, got in a little trouble for that one, but uh, he, and he loved that. You know, that's what he thinks is so crucial that um, to get a group together, and it's usually at the beginning of the year. And this just so happened that we went down to. Uh, uh, Norfolk and they had a really good team. It was the beginning of this Tampa team. Um, you know, like Tyler Johnson was there. JT Brown was there. All, all these young guys that no one really kind of knew who they, who they were. And they put together a team that ended up, you know, I, I don't know if they won it that year or made a long run. It's like, Holy cow, they got a good group. We go on there thinking we had a good team. I think we lost nine, one, eight, nothing back to back nights. And we took a bus back that night. We skated our butts off and it was supposed to be the start of the camping trip. So guys might already have their minds on that. So we pushed it back like a, we, the only time we had another break was like a month later. And he's like, oh, we're going to we're going to head out to this camping trip. We're going to take a six hour bus ride. Obviously, the bus is full of beer. We're going to get on a uh, fishing boat. And we're going to go stay on this island for a night. So we had to rent tents and all this stuff. And they got it. The whole town's shut down. This whole town of Maine is shut down because it's the season's over. You know, it's too damn cold. Other than the fishermen are going out and, you know, catching their lobsters and all that. And uh this guy picks us up in the boat. We all load on his boat. He's like, I don't know what you guys are doing, but there's a nor'easter coming tonight, and it's going to be miserable out there. And I'm like, what's a nor'easter? He's like, well, it's a storm that comes and it doesn't move. So we get. He's like, well, you better get your fire started fast. So we get out there, and obviously by this time, guys have beers on them. We get out to the island. Um, we're supposed to be cutting wood, and you know that's like the last thing on your mind. Oh, we'll be fine. Sure, sure enough, two two hours into us being on the island, it is uh, downpouring. No one has tents ready, of course. And we're in the middle of the night trying to get all this stuff set up. And we got water, like, this high in our tent. And I still you guys remember, like, there's guys in their tents, like, screaming. And, like, this is brutal. Like, and, like, and for real, like, it wasn't guys were screwing around because we can't, we got nowhere to go in the morning. I ended up sleeping in a tent with, like, two other players, Roy, his dog, and our assistant coach. And I, I slept as close as I could to that dog. It was, like, the only thing that could keep me warm. Um I mean, it was uh, it was a phone call I think we received from Doug Wilson that said, "Hey, we got to start rethinking this and uh, being a little smarter if we're going to head up in the middle of a nor'easter." Yeah. And as soon as we got out, we got picked up by a boat. I still remember the morning when he said, when, "When I saw that boat in the morning, I was like, thank you." We stopped at a little we stopped at a little clothing store on our way out of town, and I know boys were loading up on hoodies and sweatpants, and they're just like, "Oh my god, we got to try clothes." It was uh, 
it was a night of hell, man. It was uh, it was nothing that I wouldn't want anybody to have to go through. Yeah, he's gone through quite a few camping trips, and I've I've definitely heard that story before, uh, along oh. with along with some others. I want to talk, um, you know, going back talking about some you know firsts and things like that. Your NHL debut, a little bit more <clears throat> unusual. wasn't a, a you know wasn't a, a start or anything like that. You know, you're you're on the bench, you're backing up. Next thing you know, Todd McClellan look, Todd McClellan looks down and says, you know. Hey, you're going in. It's like, what, what's that experience like for you? And I mean, obviously you're not thinking you're going into the game. Like what, what's that thought process like? You know, a few funny things about that is my parents were actually out there. Cause you get, um, you know, a part of your rookie contract, parental travel or whatever, come out, you watch your first game. And yeah, my first uh, ever game that I did play in the NHL, I might've been called up and sent down like for a night or two nights here before that, which makes zero sense. Cause Worcester was, and you know the east on the east coast and san jose's on the west coast to fly up for a day or two and but the six-hour flight there was a lot better than the six-hour flight back the other way i'll tell you that so yeah my parents fly out they don't know i'm going in um yeah we, we're losing this is funny we're losing to phoenix it's three nothing paul bisonette just scores so i don't know if that <laughs> that todd was unhappy about that or that it was the third goal <laughs> or to wake the bench up or what but so paul bisonette scores the third goal so it was actually a nice goal in the slot. Uh, he pulls uh, Niami, uh, and, yeah, I go in, and I'm like, holy cow, you got to be kidding me. I remember getting out onto the ice, and I still was chewing gum in my mouth, and I'm like, what the? <laughs> so I spit, you know, you spit that on and push that into the net, and, uh, yeah, you just – thank God he had nerves, and, I mean, I had butterflies the whole game, and I think I only had, like, nine shots the whole game, and we ended up coming back and winning 5-3. Uh, uh, I think Patrick Marlowe might have got the empty netter, but it, yeah, I think he might have had a hat trick that night. And it was a, it might have been like as crazy as it sounds. It might have been that might have been like his thousandth game that night. That was a part of my first ever game was his a thousandth, and he ended up going on to play a thousand more. But it was a pretty special night to get uh, a win in that in that way. So it was uh, the plaques in the basement, the pucks in the basement, and I'll always remember that. Along those same lines. Being in your spot, someone who has been a starter in the NHL, you've also been a backup in the NHL. When you are in a backup situation, is there one moment that you think about as, and maybe that is the moment, maybe your first pro or your first NHL debut was that moment, where, but where you went, you're walking into the net going, I'm not ready for this. For whatever reason, whether it's stuff away from hockey, whether it's, yeah, you know, right. there, there has to be a moment with all these games where you're like, I need to get my act together here before the pucks start coming. And there, I'm sure there are a lot of nights where you are ready, probably more so than right. not, but there has to be a couple where you're like, I got to snap into it. Right. Yeah. That one for sure. You you, you never know until you're, you get the chance. Like, Holy cow. I'm playing a, you know, like I can't remember who was there that night. You know, you got Sheen Dawn. Uh, I think Ray Whitney was on that team. Rabada and Garrett guys you, you've watched, you know, I mean, and I think maybe Yandel was on that team. Um, it's like, holy these guys i'm actually on the same ice sheet as these guys like this is this just seems surreal you know like that's uh that first game obviously they talk about it with any athlete and i think that's just actually accepting the fact that you actually are on the same ice sheet as some of these hall of famers or all-stars or whatever it may be you know and um it's funny i was just talking like a week ago with the with a friend of mine i think the biggest jump for me was high school to juniors and uh like a that's where you really find out if you're ready, you know, like you, you go to the, you're all of a sudden you play with a 21 year old kid that's been there for two years. And you're like, wow, I'm 17. I'm, I just left high school. I'm coming down here to play with a 21 year old. What is going on? You know? Um, so that, that I thought was, you know, obviously the biggest jump you start getting into pro hockey and the difference, obviously, you know, between the American and NHL is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a thin line when guys make it or don't make it. Um, but for me, jump wise, seeing if I was ready, seeing if I could do it. And if I had the ability was high school to juniors, I think. Now I was talking about this on the golf course last weekend, goaltending to me, I'm fascinated by goaltenders yourself included, but <clears throat> don't feel too special. There's a long list of goalies that I'm fascinated by, but you are on that list. It's such a melody of mental, physical, and also just having some stones too. Right. I mean, right. it's, it's a fascinating position to me. How would you, describe your goaltending do you think you're more on the cerebral side more on the athletic side a combo of both and you've also got the, i would also throw the competitive side in there too because i think there's some goals right. i watch mike smith 
that guy just wills his way to make saves, doesn't he? And right, obviously right. there's more to it than that. But how would yeah. you describe Al Stalock's game in those buckets? I think it, it starts from youth hockey where I was fortunate to play four. I mean, I played out every other game through Pee Wee's, and that doesn't happen anymore. You have to you have to declare you're a goalie sincere. I like now that before you're like first your uh, squirts, you know, you have to say, okay, my kid's being a goalie. You know, and then he sits on the bench when he's not playing. It's like it's all St. Paul, whether you want to say it's fortunate or we're unfortunate. And we just numbers, we didn't have a ton of numbers. Like, you know, you look at some of these, you know, Stillwater, Edina, how many different teams they have um, at every level. So that was one thing I was so lucky to do is I got to learn how to skate. I got to learn how to see the game from a different spot. Uh, I got to see plays develop. And I think that helped me a ton is the, being a better skater, being smarter with how plays develop and all that. But being, being a backup as well, you get the best seat and not the, the house, you know, how many times a year, 50, 60 times a year, you're sitting right in the mix. So you're on the bench, you're listening to the coaches, you're listening to players when they're getting off and you're watching the game. So you see plays before they even, you know, you can see a play coming. Oh, no, this guy, this guy put himself in a bad spot or oh, that's not where you want to go here, you know? And I think for a goalie, if you can really truly take that in, like I think I learned so much being on the bench watching other goalie partners and just being around the D or the forwards for so long, you know, and I think goalie wise, I think a lot of people are going to say, Oh, he was an athletic goalie, aggressive goalie. Um, but no, I just, I think you have to think the game as a goalie in a, you know, obviously a different way. And for me, I just uh, feel like reading, reading plays for me and reading shots is something that I've, I've had to do because of my size. Into the final minutes, Joey, what did we not get to that I know you wanted to get to? Because I know you had some stuff. Yeah, there's there's one I, I really want to hit on, one uh, story from, from the Worcester days. Uh, there was there was a mayhem game. Uh, you guys oh, yeah. were playing in Portland. And just if if for the people watching, listening, like go look this up. Go watch the highlights. It's unbelievable. So it, it's a 5-1 win for you guys, Teddy Bear Toss game. But in the final two periods, the game gets out of control. There's 15 fighting majors handed out, 143 total penalty minutes. Ten of those majors were given out in a two-minute span. You've got tough guys like Kyle. Uh, um, you got uh, McLaren, Gogol, Jimmy Kyle Bono, Senna Akaladze, uh, Brandon Mashinter, Matt Pellick. Uh, you've got Recklich, who's playing for Portland, comes, a- comes after you, tries yeah. to come after you. He throws his elbow pads into the bench like just – if you can walk us through the chaos of that game. Well, so it's funny that they had, uh, Ackman Larson there that year. Um, and, uh, they wouldn't play him against us. I think he played the first game and then they wouldn't play him. The organization said, Hey, when you play Worcester, they wouldn't play, uh, Ackman Larson. It's so funny. I have a hard time saying his name because Roy still to this day, it calls him Lars Ackman. <laughs> Roy, and, uh, Roy doesn't get any names right ever, still to yeah, this day. So, so still to this day, I have to like, think about it before I say it, because we all just call him Lars Ekman. And uh, so, yeah, it was uh, – It was when we played Portland, you knew it was going to be one of those games. I mean, we had some of the – yeah, like you said, Senna, Pellick, McLaren, Frazier McLaren. It was like – and then they had Louis, they had Reckless, and it was just going to be one of those nights. And where Reckless ran over uh, Doherty from behind in the corner – and immediately grabbed him. So he was our, he was a young prospect for us, first year kids. He was like six, seven on skates, big boy. But, you know, I don't think he enjoyed the fighting aspect of the game. And uh, Joel didn't even give him a chance. It was boom, ran him from behind, picked him up, and started throwing bombs. And the guys were like, Whoa, what are you doing? And then as soon as he did that, he skated right to the crease in front of me and was shaking his hands. I'm like, Joel, what do you want me to do to you? Like, go ahead and punch me if you want. And then uh, the refs kind of came in there. Some guys came in there and shoot him out of there. And yeah, I don't know what he did on the way by the bench. I think Frazier might have helicoptered his stick at him. But and then that the two minute span was insane. I mean, every draw there was either a fight or two fights. Every draw for like two minutes. I'm like, I don't even remember what the benches looked like at the end of the night. Like it, there, there was there not was a lot like of guys. I can tell you that. Not a lot of guys yeah. on the bench. Al was, was about uh, to be on the wing. He was about was, to go back to his peewee I'm telling you, you guys got to watch the clip. It's, it's absolutely. That's one I pull up. That's one I pull up like once or twice a year to guys that I'm like, you. I, I guess you won't believe it, but just please watch it. It's that's what, it used, what the AHL used uh, to be like. Eric Lindquist on the call. Oh, uh, yeah. So it's yeah. just, yeah, it's, it's, it was something else. I think that's a perfect way uh, to end it. Uh, Al, 
this has been uh, great, as I knew it would be. Uh, thanks, for yeah. sharing, thanks for sharing so much with us. Thanks for diving into it, talking a lot about the Wild, the AHL, and sharing some great stories. That uh, that Nor'easter story, I'm going to remember that one for a while. Wow, that's yeah. There's that, no, there's no YouTube's on. There's no, no YouTube YouTube's video. on that. No, uh, for sure. But Al, thanks, thanks for yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for bringing me back in the locker room. Big thanks to Al Stalock for cutting some time for us. A terrific chat with Al as we bring you back here to Period 3 to wrap up Episode 3 of Riding the Bus, the official Eye of a Wild podcast. We had Al Stalock driving the bus today. Uh, luckily, didn't take us uh, on a duck boat off onto any islands with Roy Summer. We didn't need to be a part of that story. Would have been so much fun, though. Oh, you're right. You guys would have oh. been so, so thrilled to have that, that pleasure. But uh, just an, another great story about a great league in the American Hockey League. And, and not that I'm sure there's probably been a few stories like that, I'd imagine, that happened at the National League level, too, because those teams do retreats and, mm -hmm. and camping outings. But um, did talk a lot of Stanley Cup on this podcast. Want to talk some, some Calder Cup because now it's official. Hockey's done. <laughs> kind of yeah, sad. For, for a little while. Um, sad. Yeah. And... No more, you know, the Stanley Cup champion, Colorado Avalanche, congratulations. Calder Cup champion, Chicago Wolves, we'll say congratulations. We yeah. have to, we well, have I mean, to, we it's have the same, play, it's the same, nice, it's nice the same bittersweetness that you have with, with Colorado winning, right? Colorado's yeah. a rival of Minnesota, and, you know, obviously we've got a rivalry with Chicago, but yeah. you got to give credit where credit's due. They were, I, I mean, maybe not record-wise, truly, but, like, they were the best team in the league all year. Yeah. They were, and yeah. they were a force. They were a powerhouse, and you got to give them you got to give them props for that. They were unbelievable. The thing that I always had a hard time doing, because we obviously all saw Chicago, I think it was 10 times this year the Wild played the Wolves, and there were some games where it was, I mean, you you could just tell, you're like, what team's going to, we've mm -hmm. seen, but, you know, later in the year, I'm like, I've, we've seen all, the, I've seen every team minus, you know, Stockton, uh, Bakersfield, I mean, and Stockton the West. Was, Stockton was dominant all yeah. year, and they got the doors blown off by yeah, Chicago, by Chicago. for all intents and purposes. So like, I'm sitting here watching them play late in the year going, who's really going to contend with this team? And the one thing that's hard about the American Hockey League compared to the National Hockey League is it's harder to, to get your eyes on some of the, the Eastern teams. Mm -hmm. You don't get to see all of your Western opponents. So you know you get asked these questions like, who's the best team in the league? And I, and I always would say this this year. I'm like, well, Chicago seems like the best team, but I can't really make that comparison because I haven't seen Springfield or I haven't seen Utica or I haven't seen Stockton, like you said, who, who was beating the doors off everyone. Um, but just watching them enough and knowing hockey, you watch that team and go, where's the weakness? Yeah. I mean, and start look no further than Kochetkov and, and, and Lyon in goal. I mean, those two – Lyon was one of the, if not the best goalie all year. Mm -hmm. uh, and granted, he had a great team in front of him. But then Kochekov comes in, and he barely lost a game after he showed up from the KHL. I think his first game was against the Wild, I believe. Yep. And I yep. think he won that night and had 30-some saves, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure, in Chicago. Um, so I think February or something along those lines. But, yeah, just top to bottom. Um, I mean, Stefan Nason and Andrew Podorowski, as good of a Batman and Robin combo as you could yeah, have. They, 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 had the, they had the perfect mix. They had a lot of very, very talented young guys. Mm -hmm. They also had that group of veterans who are there from a leadership standpoint, but also put up a ton of points. Paul Dorowski was unbelievable. He's got to get an NHL look this year. But that's, think, the, right? that's the Some thing about point the, you would think, but that's the thing about that team is they had guys that weren't going anywhere. Their stars weren't number one call up guys. Yeah, they for weren't whatever up and reason. Downs. I, again, yeah, I yeah. don't know why. Uh, why Carolina wasn't looking at Podorowski or Stefan Nason, or you have it, but. It was the same lineup every time you saw them. Mm -hmm. Every so often, Lyon would be up, but then McAniemi was their backup, and he had even better numbers than Lyon did, goals against-wise and save percentage-wise for much of the year. I think Chatfield was a defenseman who was frequently yep. up and back quite a bit. You didn't see him as much, but Drury was always there. Nason was always there. Podorowski was always there. Um, Keen was frequently there, the defenseman on the back end. Lazois was always there. Like this was a d deep, deep team. And they got they at the AHL trade deadline. They bulked up too. Yeah. So like they they got. I mean they had a Carolina back to back years where you even have to call their cup. I mean they won when the team was in Charlotte, and now they've won with their team in Chicago. For a Carolina team who's already good, future's bright there too. Yeah, that's a, a really good Chicago team. Mitch, what do you see from that 
club when you got to see him this year? Uh, Just from top to bottom, there weren't many times where we saw them, especially in the games against us here in Iowa, where you could point out a specific weakness. They were so strong all the way through their lineup. And even when they lost guys, like before they had Kochetkov in the lineup, they were great. He comes in, and then he goes up to Carolina for the playoffs, and you're still thinking there's probably no way they don't win the Calder Cup. And then he comes back after Carolina gets knocked out. So, you know, just top to bottom, like I thought that they built that team the right way. There was a good mix of young guys who have a future in the league and also guys who maybe don't have a super bright NHL future but who are very productive players at the AHL level. Yeah, big congrats to Wendell Young, Ryan Warsofsky, uh general manager and head coach there. Also to, to Jason Shaver, uh, who's just a great dude and a, and a great broadcaster. Other uh, broadcaster, got to give some love to Warsofsky will get an NHL look at some point. You got. I think, was reading right? some article that they that literally said Warsofsky becoming NHL head coaching candidate. Has and I was to. like, all right. Um, yeah, it's funny getting to interview him. Just a couple of times I did this year before the game. He was always gracious with his time. And not all – most coaches are, but not all are. And he was um, – very, very serious. It seemed like there's some coaches they'll kind of they'll sit down and they'll yeah. have a little. And he and he wasn't yep. standoffish. He wasn't put offish. But it was very much. And it was usually the day of the game. It was he was coming off morning skate and job he had do, stuff and going on. Yep. And he was he was professional. He's going to give me his time. But you could tell his wheels were spinning mm-hmm. as he was sitting there thinking and talking with me. So um, a huge congratulations to those to those people uh, and to that organization, Chicago Wolves. Um, also, big congratulations to Will Bitten. Um, great to see a guy like that doing Sam well. Sam Annis, too. Sam Annis, too. Um, fun to see. Bitten had a great playoff and seemed like within that trade, you know, the Wild getting Nolan Stevens. I really liked Nolan Stevens. I liked what he brought to the fold. Clearly, Will had, had a great experience and is getting some, some showtime out in Springfield. So looked to me like a trade. Bitsy wasn't getting as much ice time here. Um, it seemed like one of those trades where you walk away and you think Will gets a great new experience, gets a fresh slate, same for, for Nolan and Stevens mm-hmm. and, and all that, that Stevie brought in here to this club. So that's one of those trades I look back at and think, you know, as hard as it was to see Bitsy go, excited for him to get that experience that he's had and hopefully it gets him that much closer to the National Hockey League level, right? Absolutely. So a big, you know, huge, huge shout out to those guys. Joey, I know you wanted to, you had a, a question we didn't get to at the front end of this podcast that you wanted to sort of finish with. Yeah, I guess you could say it for Stanley Cup or Calder Cup, right? If you were to win this, you know, win this, the, the upper echelon, right? You win the Stanley Cup, you win the Calder Cup, you get your day with it. What, how are you spending it? What are you going to do? You're bringing it back home, right? Mm-hmm. For me, that's the number one answer. You're, you're bringing it home to your mom, your dad, anybody that's been a, a big, important part of your life that supported you through you know, all the tough times and not just the good times. And then I think just, you know, having a good time with it. Everybody's got their little thing that they do, whether it's, you know, drinking a beer out of the cup or eating out of the cup. The first thing I'm doing is washing it probably because, <laughs> like, on the staff level, you're probably not getting it first. So yeah. you don't know what's happened to it previously. I'll, I'll put a little Dawn dish soap in there and rinse it out. But Okay. That's a great if you idea. Could, and, and it is a bowl, right? So if you can eat something out of the cup. What are you eating out of the cup? Maybe uh, an ice cream sundae or something. Something okay. a little more eccentric. What do we think? What's going, what's going in there? What kind of ice cream? What are, what? Uh, we're going cookie dough for sure. Uh, a little bit of caramel has to be in there. No bananas. Uh, that's off the list immediately. Um, were you thinking bananas at one point? With Joey mentioned cookie, cookie, cookie dough and split. cookie dough and caramel. <laughs> no, like banana split. He mentioned a banana split, and I said absolutely yeah, not. Yeah, that's no. not going in the Stanley Cup. No. Okay. Um Mine would probably be pretty simple. I'd, my family has a lake place up north that we'd, we'd probably go there and invite um, invite family, invite friends to it. Um, although the more I think about it logistically, it might be easier to do like a bigger thing in the cities and then make that excursion later. But I'd want to get on a lake with it somewhere, mm-hmm. um, you know, just take it out for the day. I, my family has a pontoon or something like that. I'd just take it out and let it sit in the sun and – let it, you know, bask in its glory for a little while and think about all I didn't do to earn this. <laughs> <laughs> and what are you think about all the blood, sweat, and tears yeah, that the guys that, that I talk it. about did yeah. to, to, to allow me to have this sure. time uh, with it in the middle of the lake? Uh, that's probably probably something along the lines of what I do with it. What are you eating out of the cup? Hmm. I always thought the cereal thing was cool. I think starting the day, like having it right next to you at bed and just like, you know, leaning over and just splashing some milk and maybe some, uh, 
That's like the water. Some bottle. frosted mini wheats. I was gonna try to guess <laughs> what kind of cereal. What, like would what you, kind of a cereal? What would you have guessed? Kind of like I life love. or something. Yeah, yeah. Raisin I, Bran. I do love Raisin yeah. Bran. Yeah, I'm a big. Yeah, I know you do. Brand. I'm sure you do. Really? What? Yeah. That's concerning. Like you, actually, you strike me as a Raisin Bran <laughs> kind of guy. I hey, don't it's know. got everything you need. It's high high source of fiber. Yeah, mm. it's great. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a balanced part of your everyday diet. Yep. Yeah. Frosted mini weeds. Yeah. Life. Raisin Bran. Ben Gisselson, everybody. In a nutshell, right there. Well, you don't need to know anymore. Yeah. You don't need to yeah. know anymore. Uh, lastly, uh, we do have some bittersweet news on the show. Uh, we are going to be shrinking down to a two-person show. Uh, Mitch Courtney has accepted a position with the Buffalo Sabres. His hometown team uh, in Buffalo is going to get to go home. It was a short uh, but fruitful stint here, Mitch. Uh, you will be missed, but we're obviously really excited mm -hmm. for you and, and grateful for all that you brought to the organization uh, through your last year. It's certainly exciting to, to go back home and to get a chance to work in the NHL again and, and be a part of a team that is on the up and up, as I know we are here in Iowa and Minnesota. But, you know, I have nothing bad to say about this organization. It's been a great year for me here to develop and refine some of the skills that I have. And to get a chance to go back home is, is unbelievable. And the support that you guys have shown me all year and even now in this transition phase has been really great. And I said to you guys in the all-staff meeting, I, I can't really say anything super profound because I don't want to cry on camera, but I appreciate everything that's that's been done for me here and the the opportunities that I've been afforded, and I'm excited to get back home and uh, hopefully win a cup and eat some cookie dough ice cream out of it. There you you have can it. cry. We'll cut it out. <laughs> I don't trust that. Marquise. Nah, Marquise won't do anybody dirty. He certainly <laughs> hasn't done in, that in the podcast we'll zoom yet. Zoom in tight, yeah, tight right in his face. Have see the tears some like, dramatic down. music. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be the Michael Jordan crying meme for uh, sure. Yep. Let's finish. Let's not be sappy with the finish. Uh, let's end the episode quickly. When you think about Mitch Courtney, funny stories, what comes to mind? And if you need time to think, I have mine if you need time to think. I, I mean, there's there's a lot yes. that come to mind with Mitch. <laughs> what did he He's, say? I'm going to be outlandish on this podcast. Yeah, he didn't really let to, there's really just let like, to, he didn't really get to see no. that. He didn't have enough episodes. <laughs> he, he is, I mean, the, the, he's a walking soundbite. And I mean, anybody who's who's spent time with him up in the office knows that. I mean, there's all whatever anything that comes out of his his mouth is just it's pure comedy all the time, um, which is great. Um, I think for me, the things that are going to stand out most are our battles over uh, Canes and Chick Fil A. Mm -hmm. Mitch is very very hard stance on Canes, where I am more of a I I think Canes is great. I think Chick Fil A is better. I'll That's go just the way it is, and I think most yeah. a lot of people think that way. Uh, but we we had some battles on that. We, you know, being a Bills fan and me being a mm -hmm. Patriots fan, um, you know, putting some some Canes and Chick Fil A on the line too for those games. Uh, those those were always fun. So that one and, and this, the Regal Cinemas situation, which we'll we'll have Mitch get into after you tell your story. Yep. Um, for me, it's the Blueberry Brothers in Rockford. I thought that was a great, a great. Oh, that was brutal. We took some story. heat for that. Yeah, we took some heat for that. Mitch and I wore the exact same. Blue, I mean, not the same suit, but same color suit, pants, black undershirt, black tie. And it was, I think, was it the first road trip you came on? Yep. No, I don't think so. Because you came on probably, what, four or five road yeah. trips this I thought year? That was, wasn't I swear it, in it was the first one. It was in Rockford. Yeah. I know that. I thought it was the first one you came on, and we were wearing identical outfits walking around, just getting obliterated by anybody mm -hmm. that saw us. So we, walked, well, of course, leaned into mm -hmm. it, as we should have. Um, that for sure uh, was something I'll never forget, and I have that picture saved in my phone. We'll have to have Marquise put that up. Just superimpose yeah, the it Blueberry real big Brothers, right there, great. Blueberry I'll send Brothers. That to yeah. um, okay, so uh, to finish, where's Mitch Courtney going to be in ten years? I wanted to talk about. Yeah, you gotta, uh, maybe we can't. Maybe he doesn't want to no, unfurl this. On he's going to talk about it. He's going to talk about it. Mitch has uh, a strong passion, mm. you could say, for Regal Cinemas. Uh, he went on a whole tangent one day about, you know, they, we pose a question. If you were to win the lottery, what would you do with the money? And you can't do all the, you know, the basic things. You can't buy yourself a car. I assume all that's already done. What are you doing with the money? Mitch told us he's he's building a state-of-the-art arena sponsored by Regal Cinemas. So can you, can you explain your love for Regal Cinemas and maybe some of the features in your... Of course, your yeah. So Regal Cinemas is... Bar none, the best movie theater experience you can ever get. I'm not sure how expansive they are. They are definitely pretty big in Buffalo, but I don't think I've paid for a movie in like eight years. The rewards program is so good that I want to pay them a favor by, they don't even have to pay for the naming rights. I'm going to build this arena, put their name on it, and then every 
game, we're going to show movies on the Jumbotron. Maybe during the game, too. Popcorn, reward system. But it's going to be really cool, especially when, you know, I'm like the owner of the Quebec Nordiques expansion franchise. And, Quebec. Yeah. Okay. I like but. it. Okay, so look north for Mitchell Courtney. Mm, yeah. That's where he's going to be. Look north. Well, uh, Mitch, thank you for everything. Thanks for being a part of the podcast, though it was brief, and for all the rest mm -hmm. of your work. Uh, Joey and I will be back next week. Uh, no, not next week. Well, that's correct. Not next, next week's week. the 4th of July. Thank so God you're here, because yeah. if not, I would just be, I feel like I'd be boring ahead without any schedule or plan. I've reminded you like five times. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, not here next week. 4th of July, we're going to take that week off. Um, it'll, be, it'll be nice to you know, decompress for a little bit. I know I'm going back to the East Coast, um, but it'll be – be good. Celebrate America's birthday. Um, you know, some fireworks, hot dogs, burgers, family just, time, just grilling, enjoying keeping up the with the Kardashians. Yep, Ben's got a Ben has to watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. So look for that in episode four. We will have a recap. Might be um, a long intro if we're. If, if I'm going to come prepared. Well, we I think we said ten minutes, right? You got ten minutes to recap, so you better it better be detailed. And that that's. We're kicking off the show. We'll tell you. Hey. I was thinking forty to sixty minutes. No, I was no. going to make it Nobody longer. I was going to make it longer than the actual episode nah, itself. Nobody needs that. But you get. <laughs> we'll we'll kick it off, and it'll be. Hey, I'm Ben. Hey, I'm Joey. Today we're interviewing so and so, and here's your Kardashians recap. Thanks for the recap. Here's your interview. I think like, we're going to get a whiteboard back here too, so I can we can have a ooh. we can have notes and. It's bulletin board yeah with like uh, strings style. attached yeah like, maybe i'll like bring the episode pictures. of always sunny yeah. with charlie day yes, it's like pepe yeah. sylvia everything's <laughs> next pepe sylvia <laughs> pepe sylvia like, mail keeps coming it keeps coming it never stops uh, yeah i like it so that's what you have to look forward to uh also uh we're gonna have uh another guest coming your way as well hopefully you enjoyed al Staylock. a big thank you to al for making this podcast possible and for taking some time for us also to marquise jones for making us look and sound better than we are as well as jeremy core with executive podcast solutions for your sponsorship as well as all your help on the back end pal for mitch courtney and for joey goldstein i'm ben gislison have a great fourth of july and uh, as we always end things two honks for the win and thanks for joining us <laughs>